Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. It is now time for another COVID installment number nine. This is an incredible show. If you've never heard of the NRF2 pathway, then you're in for uh, really just a treat. Everyone has one and it's free to maintain. It's not hard. It could change your life if you just happen to do the right things to maintain it. And today's episode is going to really spell out why, why it's important, not only to feel better and to keep weight off and to prevent uh, premature aging, but actually it also augments the way that your immune system protects you. That's right. You don't get sick nearly as often. You keep weight off, you sleep better, and you don't look, uh, you don't look like you've aged prematurely. Regardless, NRF2 Pathway is what we are going to talk about today on the COVID file. And uh, Gut Check Project, of course, it's a special series. Regardless, let's get to our sponsors. Autron Teal, go to lovemytummy.com. Autron Teal, designed by my co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Chock full of all natural polyphenols, built to be consumed every day as a easy supplement. Or if you've got some GI distress... It's there to help you take care of the issues that are similar to IBS, bloating, abdominal discomfort, etc. But if you're an active athlete, we're talking about allowing your body to decrease reactive oxygenation species, uh, which would improve your recovery time, give you more stamina, improve your VO2 max. For all of you serious athletes out there, you know that these are important metrics and things that you pay attention to to increase your performance and also increase your time available to just play your sport or ride your bike or do jujitsu. Regardless, Autron Teal, go to lovemytummy.com forward slash KBMD and get yours today. And of course, if you've not gone to the kbmdhealth.com website, you're missing out. Gut Check Project is hosted there, but at kbmdhealth.com, you'll find free information that Dr. Brown just makes available to anybody who wants to join the community. And not only that, he has a small, and it is, it's a small little store that features a fully vetted line of CBD that you can trust, that's been clinically used, that gets the results that people talk about without a bunch of fluff, Without all the additives, it's all organic. We also have Broccolite, which is a solid and really the only trusted source of encapsulated sulforaphane. And uh, last but not least, of course, there's uh, Autron Teal that you can combo up with and get Dr. Brown's recommended health packages, saving tons of money, really just to save your health. So without further ado, join us now for COVID file installment number nine. Certainly appreciate everyone writing in, asking questions. Let's get down to the NRF2 pathway and we will see you shortly. Time for Gut Check Project COVID Files number nine. I'm here with the main host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. I'm Eric Rieger. Dr. Brown, what's happening today? Not a whole lot, except a ton of information that we have to get through today because we're going to talk about some cool stuff. It is COVID episode number nine. I'm really having a hard time because it looks like you told me that you were doing some renovations at your house. Yeah. I did not think that you would actually renovate your office to look like your anesthesia office. It's interesting. 
yeah, it's weird you bring that up. Uh, I just kind of don't want to ever leave work. So I just went ahead and built a room that looks like uh, a little GI suite so that we can just play GI at home. And then, of course, I've got a little monitor right over here. Are you hooked up right there? Does that show a 98? Oh, so this is almost like if I get you excited, we can watch your pulse rise. Pulse will be the top number. It looks like it says 76 right now. I'm just really excited to be on camera. So it's, you know uh, what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot right here because I've been watching. You remember we did that episode on masks. We talked about masks and, you know, the wells evaporation curve and everything. And um, you happen to be in an area right there. You got a pulse oximeter on you at your renovated home. I, I like how you put a uh, wall oxygen right there and maybe yeah. got, just in case you need to uh you know put marie to sleep you can do some anesthesia right there that's awesome i think everybody should have some sort of anesthetic room in their home just in case yeah. there's an emergency you know i've seen a whole lot of these instagram people where they keep putting on masks and they want to see if their pulse ox goes down i'm challenging you right now i would i want you to just start slapping on masks while we there's one but i want to see like 20 well <laughs> I'll see if I can get to 20. <laughs> but, you, you know what? Your oxygen, <laughs> see, you're ruining my point. Your, your oxygenation dropped to 95 there for a second. So um, anyways, everything good with your family? You can, you can take the mask off. The point oh, is my goodness. Right yeah, yeah good. struggle. Anyway, yes, everything is great with the family. Um, oldest son takes off, moves in to his dormitory this week. At, uh, at Texas Tech, he's really excited to uh, to graduate. Youngest son is getting ready for his first season on varsity basketball, so it's uh, it's a lot of excitement around the house at the moment. What about you? That's awesome. I, uh, something exciting. So um, everybody's going back to college here. Lucas was hitting with a few people. Uh, somebody that he's uh, was hitting with it plays for Texas Tech actually, and he's yeah. from Argentina. And you know that we've got a tied Argentina with Atrantil, and he gave Lucas what's called a bombija which is a traditional Argentinian uh, drink that they put, they put tea in, but it, it is wrapped in Texas Tech coloring. So I've got uh, a Texas Tech Bombija. I sent it to my mom, or I showed her a picture of it, and she was pretty impressed with that. So shout out to Franco, who plays for the Texas Tech uh, tennis team, and your son's going to Texas Tech. That's awesome. So exciting times for everybody. And kids are doing great. Um, I'm sorry, Absolutely. you froze you froze there for a second there you were you went here and i didn't know if you were going i'm a loser because <laughs> <laughs> you froze no no i froze it on purpose no i was kidding it's the mask the mask did it there was nothing i could do the mask did it so that was like guns up all right so today's episode um i want to get through a whole lot there uh i've been i've been having a, a kind of intrigued by some of joe rogan's recent guests and Joe Rogan, it's funny because almost on every single episode, he says, why isn't anyone talking about prevention for COVID-19? Right. And I'm like, yo, Joe, we did this back in March. COVID number one, COVID episode number one, we talked about how the virus replicated and all this stuff. And then COVID two, we talked about, we went through all that data. We talked about prevention. And we did it all the way back in March. I mean, I, I'm just saying, I listened to your podcast, Joe. Maybe the least you can do is listen to mine, and then you would have to realize that we do have some, you know, I mean, we're actually talking prevention. I'm a healthcare provider talking prevention. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this. Maybe, you know, when he moves to Austin, we could uh, send a shout out to Mikhail Abdullah of Aces Jiu-Jitsu, have him pay a visit to Joe, roll with him, and convince him to be a podcast guest. He could yeah. even join you in the anesthesia room. That'll yeah. be something new for him. Yeah, that would, it would be different. It would be odd. Uh, it would be a weird 
waiting room scene to have Joe and, and Mikhail both come through, not to have a procedure, but simply just to wrestle. So, well, the bottom line is he keeps saying, why isn't anybody talking prevention? We talked prevention in March. And so I want to talk prevention again here, but we're going to talk about it in a way that other people have not talked about it. Let's do that. I think and, it's really important. Yeah. And so this is a way that uh, very, very few people have actually gotten into this. And I think it's important that the recap from six months ago, when this first launched, you and I did a lot of research. We looked at a lot of different things. We found all these preprints, but now what we've seen in that six months is that a lot of those concepts that we had that were theories are now full on studies and now they're full on protocols. And that's the issue with this COVID-19 pandemic is that it moves very quick. And this is another step in the movement. And I hope that what we're going to talk about today is that the NRF2 pathway, spoiler alert, if you don't know what it is, you better listen to the rest of this episode because this is, this is pretty interesting. The NRF2 pathway plays a role and there's been so thousands and thousands of articles on the NRF2 pathway in different health aspects. But finally, we're seeing some stuff where people are starting to tie it together to COVID-19. So six months ago, we were talking about a lot of different things. And now we're being able to talk about something which a lot of people have not talked about yet. So um, just to recap, um, as I always do with you, I put you on the spot. So let's do a quiz. This is, so this is the Eric Rieger quiz about um, our first COVID episodes. Okay. So uh, this is a true or false. Um, we discussed how the virus was transmitted and it binds to the spade receptor. True or false? Spade receptor is false. What does it bind to? ACE2 receptor is uh, most commonly recognized as the receptor that it binds to with a spike protein, by the way. Correct. And the ACE2 receptor is located primarily in the big toe. True or false? Primarily, no. <laughs> I would say primarily not there at all. Um, mostly in uh, the parenchyma of several different organs. Or the two, two really important ones. Yeah. Uh, My long. favorite and your favorite. Lungs and uh, GI tract. Lungs and GI tract, correct. So when we were doing this back then, we had actually, there was so much confusion and FDA attorneys were saying, if you even talk about COVID, you better, you, you better be prepared. So we were even a little scared to bring up this really novel science that was out there. And finally, you know, we realized we can talk science. That's what we're going to do again today. So this is not a discussion of how to prevent. This is not a discussion of how to cure. In fact, here's the disclaimer. I'm a doctor, you're a healthcare provider, but we are not your healthcare providers. So if you have any issues that you actually need to be taken care of, do not listen to this podcast and use that as your health device. Call your doctor. We are not here to diagnose, treat. If you do have a weird rash or a weird lump, please go see your doctor and stop listening to this podcast. Or unless it's, unless you can wait, then finish listening to it because maybe you can, yeah, you can wait. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about a couple of things just to recap, because um, in episode two, we talked about preventative measures, which is kind of exciting. So one of the things we talked about was melatonin and it was early on. And I was describing melatonin because it actually helps mitigate the inflammasome known as the NLRP3. And we got a little sciencey about it, but that was to prevent the cytokine storm. And right now there's an ongoing trial of randomizing healthcare workers to receive melatonin or not melatonin to see if it will actually help those healthcare workers 
that um, to prevent them or if they were to get COVID to help out. So our theory is now a study that's going on. The second thing that we talked about was vitamin D. And I just saw a recent uh, study, even Rhonda Patrick talked about this, that vitamin D, if you look at the people in the ICU, over 80% of them are showing to be vitamin D deficient. Right. Has to be tied together. So we talked about melatonin and vitamin D. Then we also discussed the role of vitamin C. And then we found out that the Chinese started using IV vitamin C. So when we talked about it before, it was based off of the logical science, and now it's becoming part of protocols. Then N-acetylcysteine and its role with glutathione, very commonplace. People know that. And the thought was that possibly that could help mitigate. I just found two trials which are underway, phase two, looking at how N-acetylcysteine can help treat COVID-19. And then our favorite our favorite drug, Plaquenil, as a zinc ionophore, meaning that it drives zinc in. This thing's come full circle. It went the greatest, the greatest treatment ever to, oh my gosh, it's going to kill people. And then they went, oh my gosh, those studies were wrong. Now we're right back to it should probably help. We know that it works as a zinc ionophore. We know that there's other ways to do that. So those are the simple things we talked about. And then we also talked about our favorite molecule, polyphenols. So quiz number two do you remember how these polyphenols can actually help um, prevent and treat COVID? Five-step process. Uh, Five-step, wow. If I remember correctly, we're going to block a protease, Correct. which is critically important. Um, polyphenols actually can double as a zinc ionophore, allowing the cell to uptake zinc itself. Which blocks um, replication. Excellent. Blocks replication. Polyphenols themselves can block replication from within the cell. Uh, is that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then the, the very first step is that on contact, it was shown to kill the virus. Oh, correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess it's not a side, but definitely stops, uh, stops the virus actually before it ever is, is uh, taken up. And I may be reaching on this last one, but I believe that um, the, it had something to do with um, the prevention of furthering uh, inflammation, but I could be wrong on that. Excellent. You're absolutely right. That's six months ago. We have not readdressed this. And, and people say that, that, that uh, doctors and CRNAs that go into anesthesia are not that bright. You're brilliant. <laughs> You're so smart. It also has been shown to help with secondary bacterial infections. So five-step. So we went through this five-step process back then in detail. In fact, we actually, I put a Prezi video together on the Atron Teal website that we'll put a link to that people can see exactly what we're talking about with references. And so we showed that saponins like horse chestnut and cabracho can be very beneficial in COVID-19. So much so that I just received um, through our good friend, Angie Cook, she just sent me a bunch of articles. This is now one of the more exciting areas that researchers are looking into, polyphenols in its role against COVID-19. Right. So the researchers around the world are looking into this. I just received a 61-page review on this that everything that we talked about is totally being proven true. And we just found out that there is a study that was approved by the Ministry of Health in South America looking at COVID-19 positive people randomized trial with um, large stable polyphenols, cabracho, and chestnut. Okay. So. Now we're finally seeing some human studies. So all the stuff that we talked about before that we were so worried about, oh, we better not step on any toes and be super careful about this because we knew that the science made sense. We were so confident about that that we launched our frontline program 
So KBS Research, Atron Teal. So talk about the Frontline program really quick, and then we'll jump into what I really want to talk about. Yeah, so the Frontline uh, project, really, I mean, we call it a program, but it was really a project. Can we just find out how well polyphenols will work on healthcare workers who essentially at that time were just jumping all in, both feet first, not really knowing the virulence, the safety, how would they fare if they happen to get sick from COVID? I mean, this is very, very early stage and all not really all that long ago, just a few months ago, but we ended up supplying several health. So by several, hospitals. yeah, so by several, so you cut out there for a second. So by several healthcare workers, it's a hundred. We were able to supply a hundred healthcare workers because we knew that we had that episode where we thought, hey, maybe this might help with this. But we also knew that without a healthy gut, you don't have a healthy immune system. So at the very least, let's protect your gut. 100%. And then the, the, the coolest thing, and I don't know if you wanted to go this far, is that now we're starting to get long-term feedback. And by long-term, we mean at least two months cycle of people who have continued to be kind of in that danger zone of having those patients who've had COVID. But where other healthcare workers have come down with an infection, We've got several who just simply haven't. And are we on to something? I don't know, but it's all natural and it's not hurting them. And we're getting great feedback from that realm as well. Exactly. And so that is, that is the exciting thing that at least we, I'm very, it's sort of um, vindicated that we, we took the time to look at this preliminary data six months ago. And now I'm seeing all these ideas that we have. Other scientists have run with it. They've done studies we are at least being proactive also saying, let's at least protect your gut because we know those ACE2 receptors are in your intestines and that's a portal of entry. One thing we did not get a chance to talk about six months ago was we ran out of time, was to talk about how the NRF2 pathway relates to COVID. Yep. So I, you know that I've been a huge fan of reading about the NRF2 pathway from uh, great scientists. Uh, Rhonda Patrick is a huge spokesperson and she does an amazing job. Great interviewer. Dr. Jed Fahey at Johns Hopkins has spearheaded a ton of this research. And John Gilday with uh, Brock Elite, and he's so smart. And they've, they've designed studies around this that it's just amazing. There's been thousands and thousands of articles about the NRF2 pathway and its effect on health. And this is the first one that I've come across where it just took it head on. And it said, what about the NRF2 pathway in COVID-19? And that's what I want to talk about here. Because before we talked about all these other things, now let's talk about how this particular pathway plays a role with COVID-19. Let's do it. I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. And it's just so, I mean, I, I like that you, uh, you called out broccoli and sulfurophanes because that's really what brought NRF2 pathway back to us before COVID even kind of hit the scene. It's yeah. awesome. And we're going to talk just about NRF2, and then we're going to get into how to focus on how to improve your NRF2 pathway. All right. So everybody's like, what is NRF2? Well, duh. It's really, I mean, it makes sense. It says NRF2. That clearly means nuclear factor erythroid derived two related factor two. Uh, absolutely. Totally, right? NRF2. So nuclear factor erythroid derived related factor two. This makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it's far, this breaks every rule of acronym making completely. I mean, this is, it was discovered in 1992 and I'm like, come on, don't you people know how to do acronyms back in 1992? I'm like, why in the world, how does one letter get 
like five words. And then they're just like, hey, I mean, it's like, hey, Bob, what do you want to name this new thing that you discovered? He's like, I want to call it nuclear factor erythro derived two related factor. And they're like, that's too long. That'll be NFED2RF2. He's like, well, just NRF2. It's like, no, you can't do that. That violates all acronyms. It's probably why most people don't know about this pathway, just because it's, it's the acronym black hole, the acronym abyss. It doesn't match up to anything. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It would be like if Eric spelled something that was like four paragraphs long and the first letter just was like this big description about your personality. It reminds me of the periodic table where lots of times the letters don't match up to what the word is at all. Yes. K, et cetera. Anyway. So the bottom line, outside of being a really bad acronym, uh, the NRF2 pathway is in, let's talk about it. And I want to do, I, I need to put it into a nutshell. And by a nutshell, I mean a giant ass coconut because it does so much with our body. So in a big giant coconut, NRF2 regulates 250 genes that produce a bunch of enzymes involved in cellular health. Correct. So basically, we're talking about a pathway that turns on other genes, and those genes do a bunch of different things. So for instance, its main job is to detoxify cells. So by detoxifying cells, toxins come in, and then the NRF2 pathway gets rid of these toxins before they can destroy cells. Another really important thing that it does is it enhances our innate immune system. What the innate immune system is, is your body's first recognition that something's going on. So it enhances your body's ability to go, that's a virus, that's bacteria, no, you need to get out of here. The innate immune system is your first line of defense. And we talk about immunity all the time. Then the NRF2 induces antioxidant genes. It is an antioxidant way to get rid of things. Reactive oxygen species. As we're sitting, as I'm talking and I'm burning energy here, my mitochondria are burning ATP. They're producing reactive oxygen species. If I produce too much of that and don't get rid of it, that basically is what causes damage, which ultimately is what causes the cell to age causes the cell to die, makes it vulnerable. In other words, reactive oxygen species make us age on a cellular level. And so that's what ends up happening. That's how come you get exposed to too much UV light and different things like this. Over time, your, set, your, your skin has a tough time with it. When you have these reactive oxygen species that build up, over time, we end up with disease and chronic inflammation. So you can see that this pathway is super important for cellular health. And as we get into this, you'll see that on a cell-to-cell basis, that is how we handle the world. You don't handle it as a whole. You handle it on a one-to-one cell. And if your NRF2 pathway is working, you can take on the world. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the upkeep. It's, it's what keeps the cell safe. It's, it's basically the janitor, the, I mean, the maintenance, everything. Paying the yeah. bill by having your NRF2 working. So your NRF2, so if somebody's going, well, I don't really think that much on a cellular level. Well, okay, let's think about this for a moment. What I'm talking about is inflammation on a cellular level. So right now, there's very robust studies looking at how to improve the NRF2 pathway in issues like brain inflammation, and that includes from traumatic brain injury 
all the way through Alzheimer's, all the way through dementia, looking at cancer prevention. Autism is huge right now because they realize so many different things actually lead to autism spectrum disorder, environmental pollutions. So you may survive COVID and now all of us rebound and factories start shooting up and now you've got benzene in the air and you're going to end up dying of a bladder cancer because the factories that are sitting next to you, that's super important. The NRF2 pathway helps with that. It's anti-aging. I just explained how oxygen species make ourselves grow old, dementia, and recent study that I found, it actually gets rid of H. pylori, which is in my field because H. pylori causes ulcers in the stomach. So I've um, anecdotally, I've had a couple patients where I have tweaked their NRF2 using various products, which we will get into. And people that have failed three rounds of antibiotics, actually, uh, H. pylori went away or it brought it down to the level where it was undetected. So um, anecdotally, I've got some evidence of that. That's why I kind of threw that in there. Some people are like, how does H. pylori even compare to dementia and aging? I'm like, it does in my world, all right? Yeah, it does in my it does. world. Yeah. So I, you're giving me this look, and I know that if you still had the pulse ox right now, your pulse would be going up because you're just like, you idiot, what are we doing this podcast? You're talking about all this <laughs> other stuff. How in the world, um, you know, don't you realize that we're in the middle of an epidemic? I'm like, yes, I do realize that. So we're going to get away from dementia, aging, and H. pylori and talk about the elephant in the room, which is the pandemic that we're in right now. Okay, let's do that. All right. All right. So... That is why we're going to talk about this really interesting article because it may be possible, theoretically, that by improving your NRF2 pathway, it may prevent you from getting SARS-CoV-2 leading to COVID-19. If those um, SARS-CoV-2 to COVID-19 doesn't make sense to you, watch COVID episode number one. That's where we went into definitions and looked at everything. And if you do get it, then the severity of it will not be as much. And so... Key points to dust off. This is quiz number three for Eric. You are now in quiz number three. All right. Um, all right. So uh, fill in the blank. All right. SARS-CoV-2 is very blank. Contagious or not contagious? I believe it's contagious. Correct. There's it attaches. More, choice. I'm just going to highlight. There's more multiple choice. I just want to highlight that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm not a big fan of standardized tests. So I just uh, I, I prefer multiple choice over anything or essay writing. All right, fine. It attaches to some cell. What's that cell called? Uh, on the spike protein. I'm sorry, on the spike protein? Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the cell called? You already Type said it earlier. Spike? Yeah, yeah. ACE2. ACE2. Yeah. All right. So some people get really sick due to a lot of inflammation called a storm something blank storm. Cytokine. cytokine cytokine storm and older people obese people and those with high blood pressure seem to do much better true or false that is unfortunately false but now covid19 summed up right there and <laughs> four question that's pretty much it's very infectious if you have comorbid conditions, you stand a chance to have much worse disease. And we do know that a cytokine storm can take out very healthy people also. So yeah. in a nutshell, that's what we're talking about here. So now let's talk about how virus um, relates to our cells. And ultimately, I'm going to show how we're going to circle back. And maybe we're looking at how to treat this in a slightly, diff- a slightly wrong way. 
Maybe okay. we can start thinking about how to improve different systems. All right, so viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, and this goes across all viruses, what they are going to try and do is they're going to try and decrease the NRF2 pathway or the NRF2 activity because it makes our cells more vulnerable to attack. So when we get invaded by a virus, it actually tries to downregulate the NRF2. And if it can do that, then it can get into a cell, it can replicate, and then the virus spreads, and then the virus hits other cells. And as they do this, it continues to suppress the NRF2 pathway because I'll explain a little bit later how the NRF2 pathway blocks the virus from coming in. Right. So it actually can prevent that. The virus knows this, and now we're starting to see that it says one of the things it needs to do is to suppress that. So it's like a security system that it's trying to get rid of. So a good idea would be to, um, once the virus gets in and infects one cell, it can turn down the NRF2 activity, and then it can hop over and affect the next cell. It's like cutting the phone lines before you break into a bank. You know? That's that's. You did that once and, you know, you, you, you got away with it. I don't think you should say it out loud all the time. Yeah. So it's basically hijacking one cell, then you use that cell to turn off the NRF2 pathway down the line, meaning it'd be a pretty good idea to keep your cells healthy by increasing your NRF2. Protect when the NRF2 is up high, that can actually um, help with that. And we do know that um, there's different ways NRF2 can block SARS-CoV-2. So in other words, we can prevent ourselves from getting COVID-19. And we talked about a few of the things early on. So what's really interesting is that the NRF2 pathway has a bunch of built-in mechanisms to prevent viruses from coming in. Right. So when we're when Joe Rogan's over there talking about, you know, why does anybody talk about prevention? We need to do this. Let's talk about remdesivir. Let's talk about that. I'm saying if you've got a healthy immune system, I'm saying if you've got a robust way to help your body, your body has natural defenses against these different things. The NRF2 pathway has antiviral mechanisms. It can prevent the virus from attaching, and it actually has built-in things to stop the viral viral replication, and it can decrease the amount of inflammation, so the cytokine storm. Um, and not just my opinion, and not just in theory, I did find an article where it looked at 40 people with COVID-19, and what they did is they did lung biopsies on them, and they were actually able to show that there was a direct link to the severity and an inverse relationship to the NRF2 level. I'll say it again. The people that did really bad, this particular group of scientists said, let's look to see if their NRF2 activity is up. The ones that had high viral loads and lots of lung damage, NRF2 was way down. Correct. And then they were able to sit there and show something opposite. In young, healthy people that got infected with COVID-19, they were able to show that there was a robust activation of NRF2. In other words, an attack happened and the body upregulated this system to say, uh-uh, not today. We're going to sit there. And they show that these host cells were able to control the amount of replication, the amount of spread, and mitigate the amount of inflammation. 
So in old people or people with comorbid disease in the quiz that you just passed, by the way, I think you're sitting at like a 99% on this, the three quizzes I did. So this is so excited. Well, there's a lot of people homeschooling. This is almost like I'm like, this is like homeschooling right now. <laughs> you're taking your quizzes online. Yeah. Um, in old people or people with comorbid conditions, the NRF2 activation may be insufficient to stop this. So these are just some examples of, okay, we've got theory and now scientists are starting to look at this and they're doing biopsies and they're looking and going, oh my gosh, wait a minute, this is a little bit low. So the viral interplay, the, uh, the viral interplay with NRF2, um, think of it this way, when a cell is attacked by a virus, so a cell attacks, this causes oxidative stress. So the cell's like, no, quit, quit trying to work your way in. It sends a signal to the NRF2 pathway. So somebody cuts a line at the bank. We're going to keep using your bank analogy here, um, which is probably how you afforded to convert your office into an anesthesia suite. It's nothing cheap, man. Yeah. So um, bank line gets cut, alarm gets sent. They turn around and say, we got something going on here. We better make sure that our NRF2 pathway is ready for this. The NRF2 pathway kicks in. This stimulates a series of genes. So when we think about what genes do, genes produce proteins. That's right. the beauty of a system. So you have this one NRF2 pathway that goes, gene A, I need you to produce this protein. Gene B, I need you to produce this protein, and so on, which is why it can do so many things. And so what its first job is, is it stimulates a series of genes responsible to both protect and immediately start to detoxify the cell. So when the virus is trying to mess with the cell, it creates damage. That damage is what the virus is trying to do because once it starts having a oxidative stress, then that oxidative stress weakens the cell and it gets tired and then the virus can come in. This actually immediately starts to protect on the inside, the, it detoxifies it. So it, it theoretically prevents the virus from getting in. So once it gets turned on and it immediately protects the cell that's being attacked, mm -hmm. then the virus, other virus are trying to attach to cells. The NRF2 pathway calls down the line and goes, we've got invaders, turn on the gene that will prevent the invaders from even attaching. So cell number one sneaks through, attaches, starts messing with this cell. This cell tells the NRF2 pathway, NRF2 pathway says, mobilize everybody. Let's not let any other viruses attach. So then what it does is it actually turns on this really cool gene that is a protease inhibitor. Not just a protease inhibitor. So if you've been following the news, that's what everybody's been talking about. That's what remdesivir is, is a protease inhibitor. Well, this actually blocks a particular aspect of it called the TMPRSS2 protease inhibitor um, because we have talked protease inhibitors with polyphenols. Correct. So it's a different aspect of it. And so when the virus has to bind to the ACE2, there's a docking protein called a protease. And if it hits and then it connects the two, this prevents that from happening or making it more difficult. That's the second thing. Then, this is so cool. Not only is it protecting the cell, detoxifying it, not only is it saying we cannot allow more, more viruses to attach, then it sends another signal to a different gene and says downregulate ACE2 receptors immediately on all vulnerable cells. 
they showed that it actually downregulates ACE2. You right. said earlier in your quiz that that's what the virus is looking for is ACE2 receptors. Right. So it saves the cell, it prevents more cells from attacking and says, let's give them fewer targets, decrease the ACE2 receptor. And by lowering the, um, by raising the uh, NRF2 pathway, ACE2 receptors go down and vice versa, when the NRF2 pathway goes down, ACE2 receptors are more highly expressed. So keep that in mind. And then finally, another gene gets turned on and it lowers something called NF-kappa-B. NF-kappa-B is the, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but basically uh, let's call it the cytokine. Let's call it a cytokine that starts the inflammatory process. NF-kappa-B turns on the inflammatory cascade where then you'll hear things like interleukin-6, TNF-alpha, these different things. So what it does is it actually lowers NF-kappa-B. It turns on another gene to prevent the virus from saying, I'm going to mobilize my own inflammatory response. We go, no. Does that make, you're giving me a look. That doesn't make sense. No, no, that makes sense. I just, I was unaware of that, uh, of that being the initial, uh, I'm learning. So, the virus attaches, the virus, time, so. yeah, the virus attaches, the virus invades. And one of the tricks it does is it wakes up NF-kappa B. It goes, hey, 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 wake up. NF-kappa B doesn't, its job is to fight. Its job is to create a cytokine storm nice. in the appropriate setting. That's its job. So it doesn't, it doesn't argue who wakes him up right. or her. It's, you know, it's, it pokes NF-kappa B. NF-kappa B just kind of wakes up and goes, all right, let's go interleukin-6. Let's go TNF-alpha. Let's go interleukin-12-23. Let's go. We've got something going on. And the virus is in the cell just like giggling. Going, <laughs> the NRF2 pathway understands that and says, nope, go back to bed, NF-kappa B. And this has all been shown in these very brilliant studies about how they can actually look at this. And when I started reading more and more about it, like I've always been very interested in the NRF2 pathway for anti-aging, for recovery, for a de detoxification. And then I'm coming across all this stuff about, oh my gosh, this thing is amazing for viruses. So it's a pathway. We all have it. You have it. I have it. Um, we all have, if you're listening, you have an NRF2 pathway. And we're going to, you know, get into how to actually improve that. All right. So I asked you earlier about um, how people that are older, obese, mm -hmm. hypertensive, diabetic, tend to have worse outcomes. And I've seen a bunch of literature out there about how um, the theories are, well, they've got comorbid things, they've got increased ACE2 receptors, yes and yes and yes. I'm going to just pivot a little bit and let's talk about something else. So remember that what SARS-CoV-2 does, if there's an ACE2 receptor within reach, it binds and it'll bind to wherever that ACE2 receptor is. If you get a big viral load, it can do it in the lung, it can do it in the liver, it can do it in the intestines. And if you have a lot of viruses and lots of ACE2 receptors, then it can actually bind there. So if the NRF2 pathway is not healthy, then you have lots of ACE2 receptors, lots of viral binding immediately, which leads to way too much inflammation, which overwhelms the NRF2 pathway. And then it can't do all these other things that I'm talking about. So it's basically, um, I kind of think of it like this. 
once a cell gets in, so imagine a high school, parents go out of town, a high school uh, beer party or something. So somebody wants to have a couple friends over, word gets out, there's a party, a couple of people come in through the front door and they're just like, hey, Eric, you know, heard your parents are out of town. You're like, yeah, no, no, no. I'm kind of just a couple of close friends, whatever. They're like, yeah, man, 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 it's cool. You know, yeah, you know, I just got a couple of cousins with me. That's all good. They come in and then a couple of them go to the back door and they open up the back door and then they let more of their friends in. Suddenly you've got a whole house full of people. You don't know hardly any of them, but you've got entry points that are coming in. So basically once a virus gets in, shuts down the NRF2 pathway, then there's more entry points in the cells around there. So the idea is that all they got to do is get in. So if you don't have a healthy NRF2 pathway, it can be easily overwhelmed. So once the cell gets in, it can replicate quicker because your NRF2 pathway is not shutting it down. And this leads to hijacking cells. They die causes more inflammation, causes more reactive oxygen species, ties up the NRF2 pathway more, and now it's a domino effect where every single cell is more vulnerable to attack, which is why drugs like remdesivir and things like that probably help out a little bit because it gives a little boost where they try and block those protease things. And there are actually studies now showing that inducing, they can pharmacologically induce the NRF2 pathway in animal models. They were actually showed that if you can induce the NRF2 pathway, you will inhibit COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 replication, and you'll keep the cytokines under control. That's huge news. And it's, I won't, I don't yes, want to isn't it? here, but that's awesome. I just thought it was so fascinating because I feel like Six months ago, you and I were like really walking on thin ice going, does this make sense? And now I'm like, this makes total sense. And this will be a new level of how we're going to protect ourselves. Hey, so just, just before I forget, I just want to say that um, we're, you're addressing COVID. You're addressing, uh, you know, the current coronavirus, uh, SARS-CoV-2, all of the different words that it goes by. But but really what you're describing is how your body works for you every single day. So everything that you're outlining here, it's working great in this pandemic because this is how your body was engineered to protect you. And so just because we're in pandemic doesn't mean that this is stuff that we need to pay attention to today. It didn't, NRF2 pathway didn't just pop up because of the pandemic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, Totally. The NRF2 pathway is something that was once again discovered in 1992. There are some Japanese researchers. They teamed up with some researchers in Johns Hopkins. And the, and the, and the science is just absolutely brilliant. It's just sure. beautiful. Um, it just now, it's somebody, I got the article. I should probably give props to the author. The team of people that put this together said, hey, we've been studying the NRF2 pathway and now we've been we teamed up with some virologists. How are we not putting this together? That's yeah. what that's what I'm doing here on this one. We're oh yeah, no, it's brilliant. I, just, I mean, I just I just don't want I, I want the audience to know that that uh, where you're going to guide them here in a moment about NRF2 pathway and what they can do for themselves is good all of the time, coronavirus or not. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Totally. So this is where it comes down to. So now the question is, we've got all these people that are basically you know the, the, this this like nothing in history there's been this divide there's been this really um 
dichotomy of is this really serious? Is this not? We've got certain countries that uh, that lock down. We've got other countries trying to do this. Well, the one thing that we do know is that even if you believe you're not at risk, what you can do is you can carry it to somebody who is at risk, which is an older person, an obese person, and so on. So I just want to talk a little bit about why possibly older people, obese people, and people with other issues may end up having a more severe outcome. And if you look at this, let's talk about aging, for instance. Okay. Um, which you, I, I got to say this, your NRF2 pathway is just kicking ass because you actually look a lot younger now than you did a couple of years ago. Maybe it's the shaggy yeah. hair. Maybe it's the COVID hair. I don't know. But. It could be all that kind of stuff. I think for 78, I look pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. For 78, you're not bad. Um, so <laughs> the reason why, and so here's something to think about. Aging, by definition, really is low-grade inflammation on a cellular level happening at all times. If we did right. not have reactive oxygen species, then we would, the cells would not, it's called senescence where the cells age and as the cells age and if they die and you don't have cleaner people coming in, we age. This is how we end up growing older. It's low level inflammatory process. So interestingly, the more inflammation we have on a cellular level, it inversely affects our NRF2. So as you age, by definition, your NRF2 goes down just as a fact of life. So as the NRF2 goes down, our cells age, we tend to lose more and more NRF2. And the NRF2, if you want to know how it prevents this, actually regulates something called the superoxide dismutase, which is now in classic form. Um, pharmaceutical industry is trying to figure out how to manipulate the um, superoxide dismutase so that they can have an anti-aging drug. But the the NRF2 blocks a certain thing. And with less of that, the superoxide dismutase continues to get out of proportion to the point where you really don't have any NRF2 to fight anything and we can die of old age, so to speak. So with a lower NRF2 pathway, the virus binds easier and replication is easier. That may be one of the reasons why age plays a role. I don't think I've heard anybody, Fauci or anybody say, older people may be affected because their NRF2 level is not perfect. No, and I'm not saying he doesn't know it, but maybe it's just because the it could be the content is so deep and just misunderstood. I, I, I would bet a lot of people who are watching and listening today, have, this may be the first time they've heard of NRF2. You know what I mean? I know, and that's the, that's the thing. Now I think back on that. I was making fun of the acronym, but maybe they're smart. They're like, whoa, don't make it real long. Just put a couple <laughs> letters. Nobody will pay attention to the acronym rules. We'll just do it this way because NRF2. We'll never be able to spit that out. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you and I start like like discovering stuff in the body, we're gonna name it like really simple stuff that people will remember. Yeah, Ted, uh, Robert, yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, let's talk about obese people. So one, I, you know, it's been theorized that in the United States we tend to have a higher percentage of people that fit into the obese category, which may be why we are tending to have sicker people. That's one of the theories. So obesity. In a 2017 study, researchers actually described that oxidative stress on a cellular level is the main cause of obesity. Okay. So think about that. On a cellular level, oxidative stress is what's making 
you obese. So you're like, ah, you sure it isn't the uh, McDonald's and the, you know, whatever. Oh, guess what? Eating shitty food is a form of oxidative stress. So as we eat very refined foods, as we do this, it puts a cellular stress. That cellular stress creates these reactive oxygen species, which leads to low level inflammation, which may mean that that triggers certain downfield genes, which prevent you from actually losing some of this weight. So studies have shown that a diet fed to mice, which is the typical American diet, the SAD diet, diet that is high in fat and in refined sugars, that is highly refined, they show that those mice have uh, decreased NRF2 compared to mice that were fed a healthier diet. And those mice that were eating the SAD diet, the American diet, actually became morbidly obese as opposed to the other mice. Yeah. First time I've ever linked that together. First time I've ever thought about, hey, every time you stick a super refined food in your body, you're creating inflammation. We always talk about it in the gut. I talk about it with tight junctions. We talk about it with SIBO. We talk about it with inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel. And then it never occurred to me that when these things get in the cell, when you have, oh, don't even get me started. Some of the coolest research on the NRF2 pathway is with glyphosate. So when you take in a lot of glyphosate, glyphosate wrecks shop on a cellular level, creating inflammation, which leads to this. Coming back to that same thing, that cellular detoxification, if you don't have it. So, in fact, um, I dug a little deeper, and it shows that when NRF2 is activated, it actually decreases the formation of fat. In other words, it turns a gene on that prevents adipogenesis. Genesis is the formation of adipose, a Latin form of fat. It prevents fat formation. Wow. I'd never heard that before. I know. It's so crazy. And the NRF2 pathway actually improves insulin sensitivity. Once again, when you become diabetic, when you have obesity and the oxidative stress goes up, it continually lowers your NRF2 pathway. Your NRF2 pathway gets wore out. It's there to help you. And if you continually try and say, well, let's see how good you are, and you don't feed your NRF2 pathway, you don't take care of your NRF2 pathway, then it's not. I mean, you just spent all this money on this gorgeous, beautiful guard dog that you just ignored all the time and fed it horrible. St- you just decided to never do it. When you need that guard dog to step up and do something, it's like, man, I'm kind of fat and lazy. You've kept me here for 70 years doing nothing. I'm not going to get up and do what I was trained to do because it's been way too long. That's a pretty bad analogy. But you got me on the whole bank robbery thing. You know, I'm just thinking. Guarding. <laughs> well, let me, what I'm hearing. Uh, is just all of the different facets of how a healthy NRF2 pathway is going to help someone throughout their life. It's not just acute when you're younger or, or anything else like that. We're talking about your entire lifespan, which is something that we cover a lot you know, on the show and throughout um, some of the COVID files. So hearing that and now learning about uh, the prevention of maybe even fat formation, which is a little bit different than worrying about uh, infection from a virus. You just said it. How, how do we take care of our NRF2? Oh, so exciting. So exciting. We're going to so basically you've already summed this up. The NRF2 pathway is super important. And I'm going to say even more important now that we're in this weird COVID-19 pandemic. Sure. 
uh, it was important before. And it's, it's so if you do not have a proper NRF2 pathway, you may be at risk of chronic inflammation, which leads to premature aging. You may be at risk of cancer. You are stacking the deck against you for obesity. You have the potential to have increased diabetes with insulin resistance. There is a small study, and it, it, it's in preprint, and I don't know how valid this is because it was only a, it, it was an N of four people, and the authors seemed not stable. But it appears that it'll prevent you from attack by murder hornets. <laughs> sure about that one? No, I don't know about that either. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you see stuff in the literature, and you just have to go, hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that. And um, I don't think written on a napkin is in literature. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, ultimately, you can also set yourself up for infections, and that's what we're talking about. So, the cool part is, it's actually really easy to improve your NRF2 system, and, or the NRF2 pathways, and what, what? Oh, uh, um, I hate to do this to you, but we have run out of time, Eric. We've actually gone long already, so I can't get into how to protect your NRF2 system just oh yet. Gosh. We'll do it next episode, and I'll explain it all. Just don't do anything to affect your NRF2 till next episode, where I'm going to tell you how to improve your NRF2 pathway, and it's not that hard. So next episode, we'll talk about it. We got to rambling about your anesthesia and everything. I apologize to the audience. I was intending to tell you all this, but just tune in next episode. You got to do this one. Um, yeah. Share it. Yeah. In our group, never heard about it. This is a uh, COVID file number nine. Uh, yeah. Dr. Brown is on call and he's got to run back to the hospital. There's nothing we can do about it, but we do this for you. This is the end of COVID file number nine. Tune in for COVID file number 10 when he answers really where he's kind of got us all hanging. Yeah. So, and I think that I, if, if any of you know Joe Rogan, just, just send him a copy of this. Go, Joe, come on. He's I mean, <laughs> do this. I mean, we're already covering this, you know? So, I mean, he's had so many, Oh, you know what? I look at that. I look at the people that like, I've been on their podcasts and I, you know, they've been on ours and stuff and we've had a lot of mutual friends. I mean, you know, come on, I'm going to talk about prevention. Here. Let's do this. It's, it's going to work eventually. Yeah, eventually. So I apologize that we can't get to it. Tune in next week where I'm going to tell you exactly how you can improve your NRF2 system. It is important. So thank you very much for tuning in. Eric, thank you for taking the time to do this. And I love your new CRNA studio there in the house. It looks gorgeous. We'll see how many times we get to reappear here, but we'll find out. All right. Right on. All right, everybody. Stay tuned to next week so you can figure out how to improve it.